All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. Uh, I'm your host, Questlove. Uh, with me is Team Supreme today. We have Fontigolo in the house. What up? What's up? What's yes, up? Uh, we have Sugar Steve. Hey, everybody. Hi, Resident of the Sugets and uh, Laia. Vote, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That's how I'm feeling. You got some Cheerios this morning. Uh, I believe Unpaid Bill is either on Sesame Street right now or uh, dealing with uh, the first day of school. So he's not with us right now. All right. I will try to make this as brief as possible. Hey, man. We, by the numbers, I think this is the most accomplished guest that we've had on the show. Um, our guest today clearly needs no introduction. This awesome Aquarian is a 15-time Grammy Award winner. Seven-time BT Award winner, 11-time Soul Train Award winner, combination Ladies Soul, Soul Train. 17-time NAACP Award winner, 8-time MTV Award winner, 12-time ASCAP, 8-time BMI. I didn't even know you can be on both sides of the fence with that. (laughs) Uh, 6-time Billboard Award winner, 9-time, oh, 9-time Billboard Award winner, get it right, Amir, 5-time American Music Award winner. Um, I think I mentioned all of her accomplishments. Uh, she's probably still the uh, the the record holding uh, Brooklyn Huxtable household bucking horse champion. Uh, <laughs> not to mention philanthropist, actress, producer, activist, mom. Uh, she'll probably own this podcast by the end of the episode. Uh, I'm talking about <laughs> uh, no other than uh, the incomparable. Alicia Keys, welcome to QLS. Hello. How yes. are you? Wow. How are you? That How might you be my top intro of all time. <laughs> That's my side hustle. I'm I'm selling, I'm I'm trying to be like uh who's uh Danny Ray, James Brown's uh, intro person. Oh yeah. That that's the vibe. That James is the Brown's vibe. Intro Thank person. you for all that. I'm so glad to be here with y'all. How you Thank doing? You. Uh, Thank you for being we're here. Good. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> I actually want to know how are you, you know, usually the, the format of the show is kind of like 
in the actor studio where we like break down the science of of the creative process with the artist. Mm. But um, being as though we are living through what you know the history books will probably show as uh, a, a a crucial milestone and and or at least on Earth, um, things are a little different now. Um, right. So I want to know as a creative or just as a person, like how are you adjusting to this road called 2020 right now? Like how was your day this morning? My day was pretty good. Okay, wait, I think I have, I think I need to back up and then I can come to today because I think that's how you... Take your time. Talk Take your time. time. So... Well, you usually, ask, like, what kind of cereal did you have this morning? But it's like... <laughs> right. I had a macro bar. Oh, okay. So you hungry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starving too right now. Okay, so what? So a macro bar is what? What does that entail? Mm, What's in that? It's like a, you know, it's like one of those kind of bars that fill you up enough and give you a little bit of protein. And then if you have to run out the house and didn't really have anything to eat, you good for like a good couple of hours and you have some tea and some water and you're straight. And then okay. hopefully you can eat soon. That. Gotcha. I'm on that same joint right now. I get you. You know what I mean? So both so of y'all I'm, I'm doing my one meal. I can't wait to eat. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. Word. <laughs> um, but you know what? I mean, through this road called 2020, it's definitely been some ebbs and some flows, you know? At first, I was like so confused. I just didn't know. We all didn't know what to expect or where it was leading or what was going to happen or like, were we even safe or was anybody safe or, right. you know, it was like a paranoia. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think as a, as a parent, it became really ill because, you know, suddenly it was like, well, okay, we're going to do that part of the thing. And then as a, as a mother and a human and a woman and a businesswoman and a human being, I, I truly lost the plot of how to find my own space in the world. I just, I just didn't, I didn't even know. I was like, I don't even know how to carve out any time at all. I well, felt I was gonna, busier. I was going to ask, ever. does that now mean that you as a creative is now in third place because it's almost like yeah you you have to be a person to your 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 kids but then you have to be a person to yourself and then and I know you have people that you have to care for and make sure they're cool and all that stuff and then like do you still get fits of inspiration where like okay I'll carve out 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. to write these lyrics down or or that sort of thing yeah, I mean, I again, at the beginning, nothing, nothing, literally nothing. I, I I didn't feel even the desire to create. And I think that's almost because it was all such a shock. And I had completed the whole Alicia project already. So I, I kind of put, I, I put all this creative energy into something already. And then everything just kind of ceased. So right. I was just like, wait, wait, now what? Now what? So I think I, I think it gave me some space to not feel the pressure of having to create. Because as a creative, you do tend to one enjoy creating, but also know that that's like that's your 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 wheel. You got to oil it, you know. So I think that it gave me the the energy to not feel the pressure of it and be able to kind of lean into the unknown of everything. Um, but then I did start heavy meditating, which I've always done, and I would do that heavy meditation probably about five. And then 5.30, and then I would do a workout, and then I'd get the kids up for school, and then mm -hmm. I'd have a good day. But anytime I didn't do that and that, mm -hmm. I would feel, like, 
off. Throw you off. All yeah. the way off, off, off. So that's kind of what happened you, for the first bit. There's one thing that I forgot. I forgot that my Spotify playlist <laughs> is public. It's public, yeah. And so Fonte kind of outed me last week because he noticed that I've been putting a lot of hours into like my my uh, binaural beats and my binaural. my meditation. Hey. Back I've been stuff. checking it out though. Yeah, it's it's heavy stuff. Right, and so I got paranoid. So Did you erase it? You changed it before I've we get to it? I've using Grace's account. About to mess up. I'm going to all the way up. Grace falls asleep. <laughs> no, but I put my joint on like <laughs> hip-hop. Meanwhile, I'm running the Grace's phone like programming. Right. Like, let me get my mess. So hold on. I need that I need that playlist. Whatever that playlist is you yeah. secretly hiding. Yeah, no, I no, no. I, 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 I freely share it with everyone. Like, that, that literally has it's just a Mary Kay Thompson page on Spotify Alicia uh, I'll I'll send it to her yeah but the, the the thing is is that um I think what we all have in common is that you know this forced us all to take a rest or a pause at least from what our lives were you know like sort of worldwide at least for a period it was like that and in the beginning I think I felt guilty for like not picking up a drum set like for at least mm. four months i didn't do anything right yeah no music no nothing and you know i could i mean i i dj'd because that relaxes me but, but right. um, it's not the same yeah I, yeah I, I, I felt hella guilty for like having not sat at a drum set for like five months and all that stuff and i feel you then i, I started to find out that everyone was kind of doing that like oh, I, haven't, I haven't been on my piano yet or that sort of thing so no, honestly, my piano felt no, so so neglected. I was like, "What's the matter with you? Why, why don't you just go sit?" Meanwhile, I'd be there like my my son has to practice. I sit there with him. We're playing duets. I'm like, read these notes. Make sure you practice this. All this type of stuff. But I would not sit down. You're and his teacher. Just, no, you're, but I practice with him. I practice with him. He has a teacher, and then I practice with him during the week. And then he has a class. You know, he has a lesson with the teacher once a week. That's so so, yeah. So you yes. still actively practice, like, do you still practice, you know, and daily, weekly, you know, even though you've been playing for so long? Yeah, I do. And, and I, but I do find I go in seasons like, you know, I have I have moments where I'm like fully invested because I really want to learn this new classical piece. And I'm like, I'm doing it and I'm going to and I'm going to make sure I'm learning it. And then there's moments where I'm like, OK, I got a show in, you know, a month. So I want to put together this thing for it. And I'm going to be practicing mm. all the time for it. Or I'm or I'm like. All right, I'm carving out the time just to do whatever, or I'm just like, I just don't do anything at all. So it kind of goes in seasons. <laughs> There's moments where I'm where I'm more, and then moments where I'm less. Maybe maybe <laughs> um, you already said this, and I missed it. But where where were you on this album when when March happened, or when, you know when? Oh, actually, when March when March happened, I remember the last thing was I was I was creating the So Done video with Khalid. And we were actually shooting the video. Yikes. Oh my gosh. Love. And we were thank you so much. I love it too. And we were shooting the thing and we were looking at each other like, is this happening? Because we were getting, you know, remember at the very beginning, we were getting all these crazy updates. Like yeah. this sports person is positive. Tom Hanks is the and we were like, wait. Is the world huh? about to end right now? Yeah. It was totally crazy. So so I remember we were looking at each other like is this really happening? And we were singing and we were doing a video and we we're like, I think it's going to be cool. Mm. And literally that 
Next day, it was all like, no one's going anywhere, no one's doing anything. And that was the last thing in that March moment. So at that point, I was definitely mostly finished with the project. I, I knew that the, the majority was already completed. Maybe there was one or two things to finish or like a couple mixes or things like that. But I was in a place where I knew what it felt like, you know? So you, you and your team were able to finish it up over the quarantine? Yeah, I mean, we we mostly, you know, we mostly didn't do anything because we were trying to figure out, like, wait, what mm-hmm. what are we doing and how <laughs> right. do we even do it? And then where do we go and how do we get there? And so we kind of figured some stuff out uh, finally to make things at least fluid and to be able to create and be able to have a place to, like, get content and, and, and just, just create, just have some a, a little bit of a hub. But um, but at the but at the very beginning, nothing. And then finally, maybe a month ago, at the end of the summer, I put the last finishing touches on the project and just said, "Okay, this is it. Everything's done." And that was kind of the flow. But it was a moment where it was just nothing. Yeah, and you're planning a you're planning a tour for 2021, right? So man, I'm just going oh, now, right? Well, was 2020 obviously everything yeah. was 2020. That's like the that's like the theme of 2020. It was 2020. Yeah, <laughs> right. At least you had to drive in. Right. Oh, yes. I'll be there. Everybody's at the drive in now. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's okay. Still... I don't mind. So, Alicia, I want to know um, I believe that you were born in Hell's Kitchen, correct? In Manhattan? Yeah, that's right. I was okay. born and raised. I want to know what was the first album that you purchased? Oh, the. <laughs> Okay, the true story it, is that my first yeah, album. Yeah, just, just the let true it go. story <laughs> is that my first album I purchased was Belle Biv DeVoe. Yes. Poison? And, <laughs> yeah. and it was Poison. Okay. And I remember that it was definitely the cassette. Like it was officially a cassette. And then <laughs> I don't know what happened. But somehow I must have loved the song but missed the lyrics. And then I got home. And put the song in, and then I actually heard that sh- that they were like, "Never trust a big button to smile," and I was pissed. I was like, "What you mean, never trust a big button to smile? That's that's messed up. I don't like that." And I brought the tape back. I brought the tape back. Wait, what? Wow! Yeah, I don't know why I felt like that. I don't know why I felt so strongly like that. But for whatever reason, since they said never trust. A big butt and a smile. I was offended. Damn. <laughs> I don't wow. know why. Mind you, they took the wrapper why. off and listened to it. They don't do that yeah, at the time. I don't even know how you can even send the thing it. back. <laughs> I don't even know how you can send a cassette. That don't even make no sense how you can send a cassette back. But I, Or maybe that's, I don't know if I made that up in my head or what, but I really remember that clearly. Wow. wow. Okay. So you were the kid and the parent at the same time. <laughs> you know what? That is a ref- That is a true fact of my childhood because question i've had the pleasure of hanging out with your mom before i remember the first time you came to to philly and we took you guys to the black lily and it seems oh. like she came to black lily yes she did and oh. while your mom was partying you was kind of chilling so i in my mind i was like she wasn't as much of a police on stuff like that as you were for yourself no she is the party animal <laughs> everybody be like you know if we go because if we go to wherever we go um people be like oh what's up alicia Mama Key, like they, oh, what's up, Alicia? Mama Key, like they love her so much. She is definitely the life of the party. She's she's wilding. She's having a ball. She's dancing. She's no holding back. So they, everybody loves Mama Keys. She probably was like, "Why are you taking that tape back? That's a jam." 
<laughs> right, what you, what you, what's the matter with right. you? <laughs> exactly. What's wrong with you? <laughs> After Poison, what was the probably the next album, I guess, that you didn't take back? Right. Uh, something that you remember that you like really enjoyed and it stuck with you. Oh, then the next, the next, I didn't buy this one, but this was like a treasure, was the cassette. Okay. Which was a double cassette of what's going on, Marvin Gaye. Ah, wow. That was crazy. I mean, I never, I'll never forget. It was white. It was a white cassette. I'll never forget it. And I will never forget how that music landed on me. I never heard anything like that in my life. I was never exposed to that. Of course, I've heard tons of music, but listening to that flow where everything connected to each other, mm. and even with the cassette, like you had to flip it over, you know what I mean? Mm. But it was... So crazy! I it changed everything for me that that particular cassette. Really, at that young of an age? Yeah, because I guess I was like maybe mm, eleven or twelve. Or, That's crazy. That's how like, sketchy. Growing up, well, no, just growing up, I um, I always saw Marvin Gaye's like my aunt's music. So right, it really wasn't until I mean he died on April Fools when I was. 13 so then kind of the the aftermath of his death and how like it affected all my aunts like they were crying like yeah mm. same here Their that was probably the first died. celebrity death i remember right like, and so wow, yeah just, really? yeah it, it was like they took it hard and i think i heard his like you listen to people's music differently when they die like when prince died and suddenly mm. everything felt different to me so but mm. unfortunately, it took his passing for me to, like, really absorb it in a way that I didn't, you know, this is way before, I mean, 84 was way before, you know, sampling technology came in, whereas, like, you know, once sampling came into play, then it's like, oh, your 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 parents or your grandparents' record collection comes to life. Then you recognize, like, oh, that's where I know that from. But, you know, just straight up, like, it took me so long to get into Marvin Gaye that did I'm, it like you mean because you just didn't have an access point or you heard um, like all the singly ones and it was like not as interesting or you know why yeah, it, it's just I mean you know the thing is is that uh me growing up see my thing was I, I grew up in a don't touch my stereo household okay. so all the education I got was education but it was like under duress of if you touch our stereo then you're in trouble like that sort of thing. So I had to listen to stuff that I thought was boring then. Right, right, right. I and then it. once hip hop started sampling it in 1988, then I became the smartest kid in school. Like, right. oh, I know where that came from. You know, I that know sort what of it thing. Is. So, so, yeah, so I, I, are you that? I, I never, are you that person now? Are you like the "Don't touch my stereo" person? Like, don't touch my. Oh no, no, not at all. Like, don't I, ask him for no request, though. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the I'm the <laughs> I'm the no request guy. Like I'm right. the, you know, I I prepare my meals. I, yeah. I see it as preparing, like cooking. That's how I see it. And I feel then you. It's almost my flow up. Like, Give me a cheeseburger, like that sort of thing. Do you do you I'm remember your first concert that you went to? Yep. Who did you see? My first con. I don't remember. My first concert was. I can't even believe this. Mm-hmm. Say it, Michael Jackson, and I had to be like five. Oh, not bad. Wow. And and 
And well, all, the brothers, probably. all the brothers were out. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. lucky. And they did like the routine. And and um and on my way into the whatever stadium arena, I don't I was little, I don't know where I was going. There was like a hundred ambulances. And I was like, mommy, who's sick? Like who's who's sick? Why are they sick? What's the matter? And I didn't understand what those were for. They was passing right. out people. <laughs> and that's what I remember. I re- that was that was my first concert. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. That's a crazy one. That's a very good first concert. Somebody what, did me right. Assuming that you didn't grow up in a, uh, well, I don't know. Like, did your introduction to music was it via church, via school? Like, how? What was the moment where you know the sort of the epiphany hit you that? Hey, wait! I'm interested in this. Like, how 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 is it introduced to you? It was I was four four years old, and I was in you know whatever kindergarten or whatever, and I had this crazy teacher um, who was so eccentric and like so like she just wanted to do everything for the kids, and she was like this little powerhouse woman, beautiful brown skin, and her name was Miss Hazel, and she was going to get everything done, and she was going to move out her way. And she decided to do a, a, a version of Wizard of Oz at a moment. Okay. It's always the Wizard of Oz. I know, right? <laughs> it's always. So anyway, everybody had to go home and practice a song and this and that. So, of course, I go home and I practice Summer of a Rainbow. And I come back in and she's like, you know, I, someone was playing the piano. It was like this little room, this little piano. And, and then I sang it for her because she, you know. So I sang it for her, and everybody had to audition. I sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and she ended up making me Dorothy. And I sang, had to sing that Somewhere Over the Rainbow song, you know, whatever, the two times we performed it, however it goes, you're like a kid, you know. And, and I remember that I was so nervous, so terrified, so scared. I hated that all these people I knew were right there in the audience. I never wanted to sing in front of them. And when I opened my mouth to sing the song, I remember feeling like, okay, I like this. And then I went back to being terrified. And, and, and that was the first time that it hit me that I like this. And that's when it hit you. That was the moment. I knew it. I felt it. I just, it felt like comfortable, felt good. So how does that lead to this as a career choice? Like, do you, how old were you when you wrote your first song? Um, I was 11 years old when I wrote my first song. Right. Um, my, my grandfather had just passed away. My mother raised me, you know, and yeah. so in the building that we lived in, it was some weird situation that if you had a girl, like if the parent had a girl, you could only get a one bedroom. But what? if you had a, if you were a mother with a son, you could get two bedrooms. Wait, what? Wait, how's that? It's not illegal it or in China. So, <laughs> <laughs> it don't sound right at all to Mm-mm. me now but whatever the case we have one bedroom because they figured the girls and what well, yeah the mom and the daughter could sleep could together, sleep together yeah. wow that's like totally yeah. no so, before before there were gay people <laughs> so we had this one bedroom and sometimes the bedroom was hers most of the time it was hers sometimes it was mine so i don't remember if it was my bedroom or her bedroom at the time and I, but I do not was sitting on the bed and she came in and she had to tell me that my grandfather had passed away, you know, and it was, mm. it was terrible. I never experienced that type of news before. 
And, you know, that was like the love of my life. I loved him so much. He was like my biggest fan. He would come to every piano recital and he was like my little Italian mafia. <laughs> I was just about to ask, where was he from? What did he you know do? What like, I mean? yeah, I he was just like, he always wore a fedora. He was a detective. He was ex-NYPD. He had the, he had the, um trench coat all the time he always carried every time I gave him a hug it was like the gun I mean it was just this was this was he was like detective old school Italian <laughs> right. yes that was, that, that was Did his he vibe this, she? no huh <laughs> yeah she no yeah. I, I want to know what did he speak like but that that's, like that that's kind of dope because especially your grandfather who's Italian who based on because my dad's from Hell's Kitchen too and oh. based on and he's 81 so based on what he told me about what Hell's Kitchen used to be and the divide right. and stuff the fact that he got his little his favorite person is his little brown granddaughter that's like yes yes no it was deep it was very deep you know and and but he was he would drive from Long Island and my grandmother lived in Long Island he would drive from Long Island every weekend to help my mother He'd be the first one there. He'd lean up against the car with his hat on and his trench and his arms folded. He'd be waiting for me to come out the building. And every time I came out the door, he'd be like, that's my girl. Like every time, that's my girl. <laughs> and so um, so anyway, I can't even remember what the question was because I'm so wrapped up in my You're memories great, of him. Keep going. I, I Keep literally going. don't know what you even <laughs> asked me. What would you ask me again? The, the song. Well, oh, yeah, the, the, the first song you ever wrote and you said that the passing of your grandfather inspired right. it. So that was my that was my heart. And she had to go in this bed and tell me this news. And I was just so devastated. I never felt like that before. I never felt that raw, unstoppable, like torrential emotion before. Like I just never felt that. And so somehow I was so sad. We went to see a late night movie. We went to see a late night movie of Philadelphia. Oh Which wow! Was probably oh, the worst God. thing to that's, watch yeah, ever. That's probably the worst one you've watched. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm not sure why it was all Like I don't know. When we want to go see something funny, I don't know what happened. I'm in there crying my eyes out. I mean, it was like literally just <laughs> the most emotional day of my little life. And I came home, and we went to a late movie. It had to be 9 p.m. or something. And by the time we get home, it's like 11 o'clock. And I came home. And, I, and it's the first time I just immediately sat at the piano and I played and I sang and I sang everything I felt. And I wrote it down and she just left me alone. I was just in that, you know, the, the apartment's super small, so she, not much places to go, but she, was just, she just left me alone and I wrote this song. And that was my first time I, I wrote. And, um, and that was like the beginning of me recognizing how you could turn like a pain or an emotion into something. It's funny you say that. Someone uh, someone asked me this summer if there's a song that you hear and it could trigger like near tears, emotion, and I don't know why, but for some reason, um, and you can't find it streaming nowhere because, uh, you know, Neil Young is, is hella against uh, streaming services. Well, I, I know oh. he tried to start his own. It's Pono it joint. Work. Yeah, yeah, the Pono. But um, <laughs> that, shut up, Steve. <laughs> Wait, Steve, do you still have your Pono player? Yeah, man. Um, yeah, but the 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 Philadelphia song that Neil Young sings on the closing credits of that thing—that's your song. 
Yo, man, I don't know what it is. It, it's is it because of the movie? Is it before or after? This this is literally why I'm obsessed with um, sort of the, the, at least the scientific study of synesthesia and how I believe that scientifically, and this is why I think, uh, uh, you know, the idea of your chakra, like certain tones affect parts of your body. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. the tone of his voice or the, or like, it's a regular ass song, but for some reason, there's something in that song that just ah, I can't get through it without <laughs> filling up. And usually, if I feel sad about some shit, okay. Example: when okay, when Dilla died, um, I found it hard to cry, and I was struggling with that. Like it took me like three weeks to really. Mm. process that shit and I couldn't cry and then I didn't want to create no more and you know at the time the girl was dating was like well you need to cry you need to do and I was trying everything and I was ah, nothing was coming and then I put that shit on and then boom it happened Philadelphia song that's what made you love Dylan yes not the Springsteen song but the the new young young joint yes it's just I don't know it's just something scientifically sonically in that song that i don't know it, that's the mm, the breaker for some reason i love that and i'm gonna listen to that now well then you'll yep. be boohooing there i don't know <laughs> but <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're gonna be boohooing don't make questions <laughs> no, <I, I, laughs> <laughs> no so this at this point well i also wanted to know what was the first song you ever learned to play like what was your go-to the first your, your go-to song. karaoke moment or the song that you like committed to learn the first song i ever learned to play you know outside of like the basic classical piano things like you know because you because i did the suzuki method so it, it all it progresses and so you start with the super simple ones and then you keep going and it progresses and progresses and so the first ones were like roll your boat and marry a little lamb and london bridge is falling down and they're teaching you the right. thing besides all those my first song that i learned to play was called this one's for the children mm. by new kids on the block. Wow. Yes. Yes. In heaven right now. I am stand tough. What? <laughs> and that was my first one that really, that was the first song that I learned that I actually figured out how to put my hands and my voice together at the same mm. time. Because prior to that, I had played and I played classical and then I had sang, but I never did them together. And that was the very first time that I kind of figured out what did that feel like. And it was hard. I was going to say, how long does that process take? Because people take that for granted. It was hard. I felt like I would never get it. I felt like I would never get this rhythm of like how to play one thing and mm-hmm. how to sing another thing. And I, But once I got it, which I mean, I don't know how long it took, but it was considerable. It took time. <laughs> I, You know, it really like that was that started the thing. Amir, how long did it take for you? Because, you know, you'll be up there doing 50 dozen things and drumming and singing and right. talking and giving cues. How long did it take you to master that? What, to learn a song or? To learn how to do multiple things at one time like that. You know, again, similar similar to Alicia coming into knowledge of meditating and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Well, we learned right. early. Remember when Quincy Jones taught us about the alpha state and whatever? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I learned... Mm-hmm. Well, I I studied that and realized that there's four parts of the brain: the alpha, the beta, the data, and the theta. 
And the reason why you're supposed to practice 10,000 hours is that, you know, you do it so much that it becomes, when they say it's, it's second nature, you do it without thinking. Mm-hmm. So I too, that's, that's my alpha state. So when you see me on stage, like on my phone, eating a sandwich, talking to somebody, whatever, that's the equivalent of Greg Phil and Gaines doing a, a, a silhouette two in the morning. I, wow. Quincy Jones basically, he make them eat, get the itis, get tipsy, and then start recording them at one, two in the morning. Yeah, because uh, they don't debate with them, they don't argue with them, they don't overthink it. They just do it naturally, and so a fire. Yeah, I you know because again, the second I start thinking of left, right, left, what left, and then I start messing up. So. Right. Right, Even to this day, like I can't, I'm mm-hmm. not aware of what I'm doing. I'm thinking of like cereal or mm. something else. Mm-hmm. Love some so. cereal. That's the second cereal <laughs> mentioned, and it's only been like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what kind of cereal no, you have? Dude? I'm missing cereal. That's what. <laughs> that's what's happening. Uh, well, my favorite um, cereal is Honey Nut Cheerios. What's yours? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm Team Captain Crunch. Well, Crunch and berries. Oh, Crunch berries. Oh. Oh. Crunch berries is good. Them things, they tear up the roof yeah, of your mouth. Well, all them of them, the, the Captain Crunch tear it all up, so it yeah, don't matter. Yeah, Captain Crunch, yeah, them hard. Might as well y'all throw them, them Crunch berries in there. Mm. Y'all let them sit for a little bit. Can I tell y'all, I've been, I know y'all ain't asked me, but I've been spending a lot of time with Pops lately. Like, I've circled back to them. And let me just tell you, milk or not, Pops will... Oh, the cereal. Ooh, Pops I think is good. Yes. Pops is good. Yes. Oh, and the other one that I used to love, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Oh, yeah, I automatically, hundred percent. Oh, like apple jacks. The milk and the best thing was the milk after the cinnamon toast crunch. That was like the oh, so good. Yeah. You're a bowl drinker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. They a... sell that at at uh, a at, at milk part now. Yeah, cinnamon toast crunch milk. Mm-hmm. Oh, they 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 put they do the fruity pebbles, the uh, cinnamon toast crunch. They put the milk in it, drain it, and then resell the milk. Like there's milk cereal. It, but America. that was my whole life. So, right, don't, right. By the way, you look great, don't do man. That, please. Really, you are shining. Do not do that. You look great. She's getting, so, he's not, no, 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 no. Take this compliment. Say it again, Alicia. He's going to act like he, he didn't hear you. Like, no, I didn't I hear said, that. So, I, said, I said, by I the way. I got enough life coaches. I'm, I'm good. You <laughs> look um, great. You know, playing. Thank you. Hey, that's I rude. That. Your mama never taught you to say thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'd, all right. Yeah. Gosh. I'm learning to, I'm still. Get it together. Seriously. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, they always get on me. (laughs) It's like... Taking compliments. It takes longer than just a compliment. Just say yeah. Right, just say (laughs) thank you. We have somebody accomplished on the show. It's not about me. Let's get to it. (laughs) Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. 
Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When when do you decide that you would like to do this as a profession? Because I met you, uh, what I assume is the, the, the first stage of your career when I believe that you were still an artist on Columbia, I believe. So I met really? you when you we were... Met, what do, you, do you remember that? Do, what, we, Dude, we... it's the funny... All right, so the story of me first meeting you is the Roots are working on our fourth album, Things Fall Apart. Steve, actually, you're connected to the story. I'm connected the, to, to, the, to the story, yes. Yes, all right. So the preface is, do you remember when Foxy Brown threw a tantrum at Electric Lady? Yeah. And was, she sent that poor intern... Yeah. Wait, were you the intern? Yeah, I'm the. I was the intern. Wait a minute, she sent you to the Bronx to go get those those Krispy Kremes? No, no, that was a different intern. Oh. She was. I was the assistant. She was screaming at me because she couldn't find her headphones, and she accused me of stealing them out of the live room or something. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. All right. So just during the during the whole Electric Lady period of Voodoo and like Water for mm. Chocolate and all the stuff that we recorded. Foxy Brown came in for like a month to work on her second record. She threw like a temper tantrum (laughs) because they didn't get uh, back then. You know, everyone was catching uh, Krispy Kreme fever in New York Mm. City. Mm. I remember Krispy Kremes. Where like the red light comes on and you get, you know, the (laughs) hot at, right? Everyone knows the deal. Um, So Foxy sent this poor intern um, who was clearly not from New York City, like all the way up to the Bronx, <laughs> to the twenty, <laughs> to the twenty-four hour Krispy Kreme spot. I don't know. Did, did he get mugged or anything like that? Or no, he got the donuts. He got, yeah, he got the donuts, but like within an inch of his life, because he had to take <laughs> the subway up there, or whatever. And so I was kind of angry that she put him in that position. So to be an <laughs> asshole, I went and ordered Foxy like 
what was it like? I ordered like seventy five dozen. Yeah, I lot. ordered seventy five boxes of Krispy, Krispy Kreme donuts, Good and they were dozen each. Cost? So basically, when she went in the room, there was nothing but a mountain of donuts, <laughs> and she was actually flattered, like, "Oh my god, you get me!" And I was like, "Oh, she, <laughs> oh man, she, she missed the whole point." Yeah, she missed the whole the point. Of, backfire, <laughs> right? So now we're BFFs, but. Uh, at the, at the same time, uh, I still have to work on the Roots record at Battery Studios. And so I was there to record Most Def on our album. And Most Being Most was like 12 hours late. So I was chilling. I went in the hallway and I saw Jerry Brown, who worked on, who's Raphael Sadiq's engineer for our last album. Yes. And Jerry Brown's uh, kind of his trademark is that it's Christmas anytime he's in the studio. Mm. And so cr- Jerry always sets up Christmas lights in the studio. Like he right. wants it to look like it's Christmas inside the studio. And I'm like, that's weird. Like, what if your artist doesn't want this? Like, and he's like, well, that's mine. I got to make it look like Christmas. So then I came in and you were sitting in the back and I realized that, oh, this is the same person that I saw on, I think either So So Deaf or. Definitely that. Columbia yep. had a like a BT Christmas special or something like that. That was it. Right. And I remember at the time you mm-hmm. were the probably the only figurehead that I knew that had her hair in cornrows. So I instantly knew recognized you as, oh, that's a girl from the BT joint. And then, you know, that's just crazy. out of boredom, I was probably in your break room more than my own break room because, you know, most would be like, yeah, I'll be there in a second. And then be like nine hours later and right. I'm still waiting. No, so. no, no, notorious. Yeah. <laughs> so basically that, yeah, that's that's how I first met you. So, I mean, at that's that time. Crazy. It was night. Well, it was 1999, though. So I guess you're working on uh, so- songs in A minor at that mm-hmm. point or. Because mm-hmm, it, it came out in 2000. So how what was that first period? Like, I never knew the story behind that. Like. Because I would figure that between Jermaine and his dad, who, you know, was notorious at Columbia. Oh, Mr. Malden. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Michael Malden. Malden. That they would, you know, roll out this rare diamond of of a moment and take advantage of it. So what was that experience in getting the record deal and recording that first record? Uh Uh-oh. I'm getting this quasi-eye roll. Nah, nah. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to like... Come You're trying back. to remember what it was. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to come back. Um, all right, so I was about 15, and uh, my manager at the time, Jeff Robinson, he was like, you play piano, you sing, you know, you have to show people like, your whole thing. So I'm going to set up these showcases. We're going to bring a couple labels down, blah, blah, blah. So we did that probably at, like, I don't know what that was at the time, some, like, little rehearsal studio off of 40 whatever street. And um, and so I did these kind of small showcases, and many different labels came, and it was just me on my little, you know, not that fancy keyboard, and I wrote my <laughs> few songs that I'd written. At the time, I had Butterflies. I had a song from that first album called The Life. I had, you know, I, I sang that Brian McKnight song, Never Felt This Way. Never Felt This Way, yeah. Brian McKnight at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I sang my few little songs, and all the, and, and so he created this bidding war. And, um, and so then Columbia was the one that, uh, that 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 did the first piece, 
But then, so I created a, I created a lot of the music with Columbia while I was at Columbia. And that's when I was with Michael. And, and that's when Michael set me up with the opportunity to have that, to be on that So So Dev Christmas thing. That was like my first, you know, moment, my first performance, all of that. So I remember my homegirl, Tanisha, yeah. dressed me. She brings this up to this day. Remember when I dressed you for BET? You remember how cute you look? I was so good at that. Which she was. She was cute. She had me in like, I don't know what, but hey, whatever I was wearing, Tanisha got that for me. So, um, do what you got to do. So, so, um, so yeah, so that's when I, so that's when I performed there. And that was like a big deal. It was my first time in the recording studio, really. You know, it was my first time really. I remember sitting at home playing those kind of chords because I wanted to flip the, 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 the Christmas song, which was, um, Little Drummer Drum Boy, which Boy, I changed yeah. to Little Drummer Girl. And mm -hmm. I played those kind of jazzy chords on it. And it was the first time I went to the studio and really, you know, produced the thing, like created it, said, this is what I hear. This is the piano. This is the this is the drums I want, all that type of stuff. And um, and so and so that was the that was the beginning of that. But after that, Jermaine wasn't really a part of my project that, you know, that was kind of a one time thing that him and Michael put together for the Christmas thing. And outside of that. He wasn't really a part of my project until the end. That's when we wrote um, the song Girlfriend together. He was a part of that. But other than that, it was myself and my my music partner, Crucial, who did all of my first yeah, album Crucial with Keys. me and my Crucial second Keys, yeah. album. Exactly. And and we were really, we, we recorded everything out of a Harlem apartment on 137th Street. Wow. Um, it was like straight. I mean, we had like the straight little, you know, comforters on the wall. <laughs> straight raw we used the we used the the, the 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 closet as the vocal booth which was a terrible idea because it made everything sound like super small and I boxy, mean obviously yeah. what I know now I would never do that but we did that the we bathroom. just swore that the was what it was magic. bathroom would have been better we didn't didn't do that we we recorded on on DA 88 I remember we got oh, that, DA yeah, yeah, 88 that, we had the first, the bed was in the, the, like, it was the bedroom. So the bed was in the room and we were like recording around it. And if we get a bass player to come, they'd be sitting on the bed and I'd be standing in the closet and he'd be chilling. I mean, it was like so tight. I remember we used to sit there and, 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 and research all the favorite records. Like we'd listen to Smokey Robinson and we'd listen to Isaac Hayes and we'd be listening to uh, Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway. And we'd be like, what makes the record sound so full? Like, why does their music sound so full? And, like, when I just put a piano and a drum and a thing, what am I missing? And we we scoured it and was like, oh, there's roads in there. Oh, there's, you know, there's, like, pads in there. We And it, it really started to teach me the process of production and what creates, mm -hmm. like, those, those sonics and how they go together. And especially Isaac Hayes, especially Isaac Hayes, because he was just such a unique producer, you know, one of my favorite, favorite, favorites. And so... We did all that in the crib, and then probably at the towards the end, we uh, would bring a few things to the studio, but barely. Um, I remember I did the intro, the the um, Moonlight Sonata that I played as the mm -hmm. as the intro. I did yeah. that at the studio, and other than that, everything came from 137th Street. And there was a kid out on the block because I we'd be recording all types of night, and there'd be a kid on the block that every time I walked down the street, he'd be like, "There go hit a high note," because I know he was outside on the block. <laughs> Every night when I was recording, and he heard and me screeching and trying to find my way, reverberating through 137 between Fifth and Lennox. So that 
is how songs in A minor came to life. What is what is your relationship with songs? I, I noticed that you're probably one of a handful of artists that still create songs that are are in twelve eight meter. Ding, so, ding, yeah, ding, six eight, ding, ding, six eight three four, or six yes. eight twelve eight, six eight. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's traditionally like fifties, sixties ballad mode, which is you know original old school but yet you still keep that that tradition alive and that that torch alive what is what is your relationship and love for that because that's that's something that you've kept consistently on most of your albums that's true on this one i have one called gramercy park and it, and it has continued the vibe um but <laughs> it's my favorite time signature my favorite you can play i can play right now lucky on her piano Right now, I could play anything, anything in in six eight, and it makes me want to sing. It this I don't know what happened. I don't know what time. I know I was alive in the sixties and the seventies for sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> and it just sparks me. It will spark me every time. I don't have to try. I don't have to think about it. I know what to do. I know where it belongs. I don't know. It's just my perfect time signature. Also, um, in the beginning, when you first got your deal. Um, at least with 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 both uh, Sony and with uh, J Records, they didn't attri- they didn't try to uh, assign a producer to you first, or at least like someone that they felt like. Are you kidding me? They assigned me so many damn producers. I was in the studio with so many ridiculous idiots that just you know <laughs> they had no respect for me as a young woman. You know, I was I was you know what I was at sixteen. Oh, what you, you know? know? Right. 16 they didn't they didn't think I could play anything they didn't think I could write anything mm. they you know they figured they could do it all they didn't even care what I thought I didn't care what I brought they didn't care what my you know it was like they were whack I remember it was super <laughs> trash and I felt so disheartened because I would go home and I'd be like is this what it's gonna be like because I don't feel good you know and I would go travel and I remember we used to go to Maryland to to work with this one guy and um I used to dread it. I would be in the car, like my stomach would just be like, that feeling when you just don't feel good, that stomach would always be there because I was just terrified. It didn't feel comfortable. I felt like, I don't know, I just did not feel comfortable. And so at the time, Crucial and I had been connecting and he was doing music and we, you know, we we would connect about different songs and we'd always meet and have ciphers in the in, in the village and it was like <laughs> a vibe. And, and 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 I remember one time I was like, well, why don't we just like work on some stuff together? And and that was the time that it finally we we tried some stuff and that was the first time that I actually felt like comfortable. Recording. You had a collaborator that listened mm-hmm. to you and, and mm-hmm. worked with you. So was mm-hmm. Girlfriend the first song that you and him worked on? And if not, could you just tell us the story behind that song and how it came to fruition? Because for me, that's the most, like, that's one of my top 10 Alicia bangers consistent. Mm-hmm. You can play it and it always sounds fresh. I love that you asked me that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Girlfriend mm. is one of my favorites, too, because I am a super... Wu Tang fanatic, you know, I am. Yes, you are. Yes. Yo, Love wait, it. side yes. story. Yo, uh, it, it, I nothing will describe the in a good way the anger I felt when I heard the opening chords to the Saint Ides 
song on uh, on here. Oh, yo, wait, I was so yo you you know like, but this this is actually a compliment for the artist. Like when when Jay Jay tells the story when he first heard who shot you. For the first time, he's sitting in the car in Harlem outside the Apollo, and Biggie mm. plays him "Who Shot You," and it just lit a fire on his ass. Like my favorite Wu joint that's not a hit single is the Saint Ides uh, Wu Tang joint. I thought no one's ever going to think to bring this joint back. So me and Tariq <laughs> always talk like, ah, one hour we're going to bring back. It's so hard. And you open, oh man. And I heard your record the night before we did that thing in Times Square. Yes. Yo, I was so, that whole night, man. I was just, it was, I can't, the last time I felt that seething jealous rage that someone got to an idea before I did was probably Spodioti Dopalicious where I wanted to do a joint where Tariq just talked and didn't rhyme. Right. And I was like, so yes, I know you're a Wu-Tang head. Oh my, yo, the fact that you even can pull that out and even understand that and speak on that right now is, is, is why you are. Which record is that? It's on the Here album. Right. And it's, it's called The Gospel. Okay. Yeah. 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 I got it. Okay. okay. You're actually spitting hot fire. Even Tariq was like, oh shit, she's spitting. Right. Like, Huh? Ooh, no, that, that that's probably my, my all-time Alicia Keys favorite song forever. Like, you, you... listen to it maybe probably five times a week. <laughs> like, it'll wind up on my joint. That's a Zoom high five. That's a Zoom high five. There you go. We're we're high five and All right, now, back to girlfriend. Yeah, tell Sorry, me how, how the fifteen-year-old came up with girlfriend. <laughs> yes, right. So no, you're right though. And so you know, at the time, I'm 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 trying to flash back there because at the time. Writing was such a beautiful new experience for me. It was like a real discovery for me. And I and 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 you know, I was I was learning at light speed how to tap into these emotions. And I remember, you know, listening heavy to Mary J. Blige, heavy to Mary. I used to rip Mary melodies so frequently just so that I could like feel what it felt like to feel like her. You know what I mean? Because she was so, she was so New York for me. She was my only, the only girl that I could actually relate to. I, what's you know, the best Mary album right now? Alicia Keys, say it. Best what's Mary, the Mary album. One, actually, on I, my favorite is What's the 411 remix album. Yeah, uh-huh. the remix album. See, not my life. You uh-huh. are very New York. Right. That's some New York my shit. Life, my life is... <laughs> Definitely I like my when people favorite. Don't too. name my life. Yeah. It that's, is because it's like amazing. <laughs> but what's the four one remix album? Is it 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 it? You got to ride out to that tomorrow or tonight on your way home. I oh, am, guess yeah. you're already home. But wherever, <laughs> you know, yes. you will well, remember. The, well, the thing was the four one one remix album was basically the dress rehearsal for my life because yeah, exactly it was that it, just them her singing over the loops. I mean that was. That's pretty Ridiculous. much what it was. But hold up, let me tell her what the girlfriend thing because we keep trying to say it and we get oh, that yeah. right. All right, so so I'm gonna be fast. I'm gonna be fast. So anyway, I was figuring out how to write these songs and I did stuff like Troubles, and that was the first time that I like felt this lost emotion. And so I was starting to learn how to craft. I was starting to and I, I worked with one guy 
who he's, please forgive me that I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but he's the other writer on Girlfriend. And he was like a really awesome songwriter. And it was the first time that I worked with, because I had started getting my own skills together. And so I was starting to get more comfortable collaborating once in a while with other people, whereas mm. originally it was just, I didn't like it because they didn't understand it didn't care. And so I collaborated. Not, not Brian Michael Cox? Not Brian Michael Cox. His name was something Thompson or... He was, I, I co-wrote with him, and, and I really started to understand. And I had this concept of being, this idea of being jealous of your girlfriend, even Joshua though Thompson. she's just a girl that is your it's friend. Your and friend. that's like this feeling that, mm. you know, you know, you know, you, you know that she don't like yes, you, but there's just but something that. too close. Yeah, she gets like, up, I don't get like it. it. It's just, ah, uh, so, yeah. so. And I remember okay. trying to put that together. Uh, you. And oh, I'm sorry. Me, I, was, like, I was just. <laughs> she filmed me. I was she filmed emoting. Me. I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of Joshua that Thompson, by the way. Say me again. Joshua Thompson. Joshua Thompson. Yes. Big up to Joshua Thompson. Excellent songwriter. Yeah, might, might be my relative and I don't right. even know it. See? Um, of course. Um, I, okay. I got to ask you. Like, I, I've heard, I've heard stories before that. You know, when you're, when someone's the apple of Clive Davis's eye, <laughs> you know, all the stars align, everything works and everything's perfect. What's it like to be in the whirlwind? I mean, you know, and I, I don't know the story of the, the beginning development at J Records, but, you know, looking throughout history where his work with Janis Joplin, even Phil Simon, uh, Whitney Houston, of course. It didn't work for um, Jimmy Cozier. I was just about to say Jimmy Cozier. <laughs> yeah, it didn't care. Yeah, you know, see, you got to be the apple. No, yeah. no, no. Right. No, I mean, you know, for every for every Whitney, there's there's Jimmy GQ Cozier. and there's, right, there's right. Uh, Don Blackman. There's other artists <laughs> on Arista Records that didn't fare as well. But what is it like, or at least were you aware of this is a, a major lottery ticket for you? Like the fact that probably the most powerful set of ears and businessmen in the music business is now at the helm. And I'm certain he came out the gate like, we're going to make you a star overnight. Like, how do you, what is is that like? This is so deep. Thank you for asking me that question because I've definitely never been asked that question before. Um, We're nerds here, so we're not, this is the stuff we love. Right. This is why I'm loving this. So basically, you know, Right. So I so I was at I was at Columbia and Michael Malden and that was my guy and he was the head of black music and and it was a thing and we started this whole project and and then as time happened they you know he ended up moving on and I remember they brought the track masters in um after Michael Malden and and the track masters like totally didn't get me. They they did not they was not trying to get me. Right. And I remember like I I was just like looking at them like what what do you want me to do? I just, I couldn't understand. And they just, you know, they just didn't, they didn't get it. And I, it's all good. You know what I mean? And, and Dianiana and all, all them folks over at, at Columbia, they just, they just missed the plot. And, and so, you know, I looked at, I looked at Jeff and I was like, man, what are we going to do? Like, I've been working so much on this music and like, what are we going to do? And he was like, I got to try to get us out of here. And of course they, you know, they're in the business of buying, not selling. So they weren't trying to, sell me back anything no music no nothing I was like, but you don't like the shit why do you want it you don't even what do you want it for you don't like it so that took forever and the only reason why I got out of that was because 
Clive, we went to Clive. Clive, you know, caught, got the vision, and and he bought me out of my contract. You know, he wow. he really did. And I would have never been able to leave Columbia, not with my masters. You know, they would have just left my, you sitting. Like they would have shelved up just... me. They would have shelved me, straight up. Oh, Frank, I know that came called Frank McCombia. That's what they would have done. Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> more names, just right, right. Just more. So I was forever. I, I had a certain love for Clive that I could never, ever express because I, you know, as a young artist, I just was like he, you know, he he gave me this opportunity, and not only that, he was like the guy that was like, well, what do you see for yourself, and how do you see? your career going and you know you're you're you I see you as a Joni Mitchell. He when he compared me to Joni Mitchell, that was it. I was yeah. I was finished. I was like, did he just call me Joni Mitchell? Like this is so his wow. point was he never had to be, you know, he didn't have to ha- he didn't have to hover over me. He knew that I was an artist, you know, I created my own music. He was a, he knew I was a producer, he knew I was a writer, he knew I did it all. I was a one package thing and he was he loved it. So when uh times happened and obviously he was at Arista and then things shifted and they they moved five out and moved LA Reed in. There was like a whole thing where uh Clive could choose like five five he could choose a certain amount of established artists and a certain amount of up and coming artists. And I was one of the up and coming artists that he chose. But he couldn't offer any more money. LA mm-hmm. Reed could ask me to could have me stay and he could offer me anything he wanted to offer me. So he did. Mm-hmm. And and at the time, my manager was like, what's the thing to talk? We're not talking about nothing. Let's stay with L.A. We good. Let's get a little extra paper. We're straight. What are we doing? And I, I was like, I can't because Clive, like, is the reason why I'm even able to be anywhere, you know? Right. Yeah. And so I was, I was, so I, so I went with Clive not even realizing that straight out of loyalty, not even realizing that because of the circumstance of the situation and him starting this, you know, this instant major, which you remember he he did with Jay, mm. that he, by me going with him, he had to win because he had to prove, not knowing his story, I was a kid. I was freaking, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, 17 years old. He had, he had to, to prove he win. Still had it. Yeah. He had to win because mm-hmm. they tried to doubt him. And because he had to win, he had to win with somebody and that yeah. somebody happened to be me. But I didn't know that. I mm-hmm. just went off of, like, ethics. Like, you know, you know, just because it's the right thing to do. And, right. so, and so I never knew how hard he went for me, which not, was not only because he 1,000% believed in me, and he really did, but because he had, it was like, when, he, when I won, he won. And, and that's what that was. And it was a whole other animal. And nobody is like Clive. When he's focused, mm. nobody can do what he does. So then, let me ask you: a year later, February of of two thousand and two, when you win your your five Grammy awards, Jazzy Jeff has a, a similar story where, um, you know, they had a situation with Jive Records and thought that okay, well, you know, y'all y'all washed up, y'all done, and then of course Will comes back like a monster they let him go because they thought like well you know after summertime there's nothing left so you're good and then we'll be you know and so they kind of had their their revenge moment in the elevator with the staff of jive records as you know will and jeff are are you know like they had words with with the president and oh no hard feelings will and everything you know it was like the greatest feeling of revenge i'm not saying that 
you know, there were any sights on on Tommy or or Donnie or anyone at the label, but vindication. Surely they had to know. Shit, yeah, they fucked up. Yeah, we done fucked up. I remember when I found out that Aretha Franklin was on Columbia Records. Remember she made all those jazz records on Columbia? And then she had to go to Atlantic and and they got it right. And they didn't get her on Columbia. And I remember feeling like, see, they'll never get the good (laughs) shit. You see? And I remember that actually felt validating to me. When I discovered that, I was like, I felt like I just, it it, it covered over any type of like feeling I might have held on to for them not understanding me. And you know, I'm like, man, because if you don't get Aretha, then you, you, mm. you, you, I don't know what to tell you. I just right. don't know what to tell you. On the flip side, did you feel like you had started an amazing trend with Clive? Because I guess after that, and you know, we all watch what goes on um, at the dinners. It's like every year there was another powerhouse female. It felt wait, I feel like it was females being announced, right? From like Fantasia, or I feel like was it Jennifer Hudson? It's just been consistent. Mm-hmm. Was, that's true. Yeah. That's true. It was the other girl. I can't. Uh, what was her name? Um, Le- Leona Lewis. Leona yeah. Lewis. That was what I was thinking. Yeah. Leona Lewis. Yes. Leona yes. Lewis. She was a voice too. Yeah. There's a lot of strong, strong voices for sure. Right. But you were the first. The J first J Records strong voice. Yeah. It was like was. The thing is, from from my from my observation, um, because the first album sold so much and was so gargantuan. Um, you did something that a lot of your contemporaries in your particular field, because of course, you know, I mean, it's hard to, to to categorize an artist or whatever, but you know, you were pretty much the 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 pinnacle of commercial success for quote unquote left to center artists. Mm. It wasn't it wasn't like you were the you know out of the bad boy stable or. Whatever right, was considered right. super mainstream, right. um, and you did something that no other artist in your field did, which was you had your sophomore record kind of ready and timely within a two-year period. Yeah, whereas I that. this type of success could have easily been crippling. You know, everyone else takes five years, maybe a decade. One particular person is still <laughs> waiting twenty-two years. <laughs> Leave him alone, leave him alone. Him. Oh. Uh, her. Yeah, exactly. Oh, her. 22 yes. years. Right, okay. exactly. Right. So right. what in in making a diary, like for you, is it even a, a thought of shit, what do I do now? How can I top this? You know, you know, I was you so just went itching. head in. Yeah, I was just so itching to do new music. I remember like because I mean, who would have expected you know, songs in A minor to have that 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 vibe. I went on my first tour. I did all these things for the first time. And, and I was, you know, I remember I had to sing so many cover songs because, you know, I only had, what, the, the 10, the, the three <laughs> right, yeah. songs that everybody cover songs knew, you first know? Right. And, and so, and so um, I was just so ready to do new music. And it was quite a long time. I didn't, I'd never been on tour before. And, and I, I've always been blessed to be a touring artist like I can I mean I can tour for two years I can tour so long just because of how it flows so it took so long to be off the road and that was totally worldwide and that was a whole new experience for me and so when I came back I was just dying to be in the studio I just wanted to sing new songs I was like please I need to sing new songs so I didn't I didn't 
I remember we camped out at this one place and and called Campo down downtown. And I had the little there was like a little bedroom upstairs, and we we pretty much you know slept there every night and just woke up. And at that that was at the beginning where you know we we done the we did you know we did you don't know my we did you know my name. Kanye came in and yeah. we created that whole thing and. You know, I remember Easy Mo B came in and rocked with me, and that was like a dream. I was like, "Ooh, Easy Mo B, Easy." And I was, I had the soul vision of doing the warning sample over. If I was yeah. your woman, it's like it was a whole thing. Um, and and so it was. Dre and Vidal, did they get on? Is this just the album that Dre and Vidal worked yeah, on? on yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Dre and Vidal, and that was what, it was Philly. so cool because it so simple, right? I think. Yeah. <laughs> They did So Simple. They did another one, too, that's kind of I forget about. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but So Simple is the one. We had such a ball that time. So I just couldn't wait. And so I I definitely didn't recall um, being conscious about the time span. I just knew that I had to—I definitely knew it's like it had been a minute. um, And I knew I was ready to sing new songs. And I knew that they were pushing me because they always pushed me to release Fourth Quarter, which I— I never understood until way later. It's important. It's the most important quarter, is it not? It's Christmas. Yeah. And they would push me and push me and push me for fourth quarter and it would drive me. I was like, why? And and I remember we finished the whole the whole album in France because we were touring and we were we were doing international promo before I even finished the record. Oh damn. And I would they were they were they knew when I needed a release, they were pushing it. They were like, This is when we're coming out. Good luck. Finish the record. You're promoing while you're finishing. And no I would, pressure. I would, I was. It was the worst experience of my life. The end of the end of Diary album. I was never more tired, exhausted. Mm. I remember. I I remember. I you know. I would do get up and do interviews. You know, getting ready at six. First interview at at eight. Interviews from like eight till six. One hour break. Jump to the studio. Be at the studio from seven till one. Get back home. Sleep until like five. And that was like. It, and I had to finish the whole record and all the stuff and 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 be and be uh, promoting you don't know my name at the same time in French tuna con parmesan or something like that. Oh, was the, no, no, no. <laughs> that's the that's the way I remembered it. They taught me it in French, and remember it's tuna corn and parmesan, which is the French translation of you don't know my name. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yo, can I, can I, I don't mean to backtrack, but I always, I always said if I got a chance to talk to you, I wanted to ask you this, especially now that a lot of time has passed. I was always curious, that first album, those Grammys that Amir mentioned, I remember that time also being kind of, I assumed it was a little emotional for you because I remember a kind of pit against with India Irie, right? And I remember, you know, that whole thing, right? But I, it's interesting because like, tw- well, 15, let's act like it's 10, 12 years later. All right. <laughs> um, 27 years later. No, please. I know, but I'm like, we young now, we young now. Right, right. Um, I just wonder if you ever think about that. Does, do you think differently about how that happened and how y'all were pitted against each other like that? Like, what do you, do you ever think about that? You know what? You know what? That's super deep that you asked me this. And now that I am an awakened, you know, adult woman. That's why I'm asking. You know, I I think that's, I think, thank you actually for asking me that because Mm -hmm. I really didn't understand what was happening at the time. I was so excited for both of us. First of Mm -hmm. all, you know, NDRE's music is so dope. And I, was uh, I continue to be a huge fan of her energy and her style. And she, she always had such a presence. And we crossed paths all the time, all the time. And even on that Oprah show, right? She was on that Oprah show. I forgot about that. That's yeah. right. The Oprah, it was you, Jill. Because I remember Jill was on that show Jill, as well. India, um, Mary Mary. Oh, this is the brunch? Is this the brunch? No. No, no like, like Oprah this. had a big episode and it was Alicia, Jill, Scott. Like she just had the 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 black women of the moment, and that like that was a very crucial moment for everyone. Like Jill's record started selling triple, and wow, it was huge yeah. for us. It was so big for us, and and I loved, I loved her so much. And and when we were both nominated for so many records at the Grammys, it was like. It, the shit was amazing. I was like, yo, this is crazy. Like, look, I couldn't believe it. Whoever thought ever. And I know she was super excited. And I think in a way, you know, everything is such a blur and, and it's all so emotional. And it's also like un, you, you literally feel like you're on planet Mars when you the first time you're doing something like that. You, I mean, there's no way to explain it. There's no way to rationalize it. It's not normal. Totally crazy. But and it was a little I, colorism in there too, like right. Fast forward. I mean, I think you know. So what? I, what I was saying was, I think that the night was so unbelievable that I, when I ended up walking away with five Grammys, and I think you know she walked away with none. Um, yeah. It it was a shock, and I and I never even thought about what that would feel like for her, because you know she. I don't. I mean, I know that she definitely verbalized her her feelings, but I think mostly. She was brand new, you know. You you that's you don't even know how to internalize that when that yeah. happens, especially when you've worked so hard at what you're doing. And then th- this 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 idea of there being colorism involved with the reason why and and that's so much that's so layered and deep and deep. who controls that shit and like who controls you know, that? Shit? It's like it's like so. I, and I think that as time has passed, 
you know, I often actually hear her reference that experience for her. Mm. And it was it was hard for her. It was like a real, you know, it was like an emotional, difficult moment. And and I really now clearly understand what she means by that. I don't think I understood the depth of that during that time. And I actually would love to connect with her just on some like, I mean, whenever I see her, it's super love. I I love all her posts. We we definitely have beautiful energy and connection. It's never been like anything she's held against me personally. But mm-hmm. I would love to just like 100% like let her know a billion percent how amazing it it has been to be able to grow up in this world with her incredible music, you know, because it's been a soundtrack for me. So I would actually love to connect with her on that. That'd just on some woman to woman shit. So, dope, so I'm, I'm really glad yeah. that you um, brought connecting that up. People. Got you, sis. You know what I mean? Thanks, babe. You know something? Yeah. Um, this tour, I think with this record also, I got to see the, I believe you, Beyonce and Missy, oh. did a tour together or whatever. What was, was that your first like major stadium tour? Like, did you, were you doing stadiums in, during the, the, the A minor period or was this the first time? Like, I want to know the difference between doing mid-level theaters versus stadiums and how because i feel like the piano is such a personal kind of intimate instrument what was it like adjusting to uh bigger venues oh man i remember like wow what an amazing tour that was like wow me b and missy like come on what is that like what is that and I remember Mm -hmm. you know it was it felt so good and equally terrifying because every night was kind of like whoa what what am I supposed to do with this and like what happens and why are all these people here what are all these people (laughs) doing here um but it was it was way way because I am I'm truly like you see me in a theater and I will blow your brains out nobody can touch me when I'm in a theater space, period. Mm-hmm. I saw that tour. I saw that tour. It is my strength. It is something that is just a place that I, mm-hmm. I it works for me. The piano, the conversation, the intimacy. It's just you don't need no dancing. It's just my world, you know. And yeah. and, and transitioning, she do, but she didn't into transitioning right. into the arenas and stadiums was a huge difference because. It just was way different yeah. way. So I remember yeah. it took me a while to kind of understand. And I didn't, I never had like a bunch of stuff, you know, like things falling from the sky. Like pyrotechnics and, and stuff. Things right? blowing. Yeah. I just, it, I was like, here go the piano and here go my band. And I'm like, Rah. that was always my thing, which was totally good. But I didn't even have like killer lighting. It was like just early. You don't, you start now, obviously, I know how to kill a thing in my style. But it, it, it was a whole new world. And I probably felt like I was drowning a little bit. Meanwhile, I'm still mad we didn't get service that Beyonce record that y'all did together the way we should have. I feel like it was like, you're right. oh, sh- it- you know, you know, you're right. And oh, it's just, right. I just want just Brazil. one of those things. Like, I know it was so sick. It was so I actually wish I could just find it so I could show her now and be like, why don't we just put this out now? Because it's like, who cares it's, now? Right. It goes with, you know, black is king. You know what I mean? Like, who cares now? Let's just do it. So I, I might need to try it. Honestly, I have to actually see if I can find that thing crazy that was a vibe though that was mm-hmm. that was the song mm-hmm. i can go through your entire discography but i do want to jump to 
your your newest album. What are you still learning things like what what while you're making records now? Are you at a place where it's now just not coasting? And I know that coasting sounds like a lazy term or whatever, but you know, I also believe it's that like a form of mastery almost. Yeah, well, if yeah. something works and don't mess with it too much, but like what else can you what else can you learn that you're gonna to bring to the Alicia record that you haven't done before? Or are you one of these artists that, you know, get out of my comfort zone and try something I never tried before? Or just I, an evolution? I am always, always learning. Like always. I am always uncertain of what I'm gonna create. Always. And I never want to know. I never, I never want to get to that place where I feel like, oh, I know what I do. I add this thing and, you know, then if I put this and I add a hook like this, it's going to be, oh, it's going to be normal. It's going to be, then let's go. I don't want it to be formulaic ever. I never want to feel like I know how to write. Every time I get in the studio, I'm like, how do I write a song again? Like, how do I write a song? Yeah. And what kind of song am I going to actually? Every time. And I, I love that feeling because I always want the magic. And, and that's what we're chasing, right? That's what we're chasing that, like, Thing that we never knew would come, and I always want to feel that. So for me, I'm always learning. I never exactly have a formula. I never know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm always trying something new. In this particular album for Alicia, I'm always learning something new about myself. It's been a very deep self-discovery for me in these past two, three years, and really like getting to know and be comfortable purely, clearly in my skin in the different sides of me, not trying to be something. And No, here's me. This is what that sounds like. Here's me. That's that side of me. Here's vulnerable. I'm cool being vulnerable. Here's angry, <laughs> pissed off, heated. I'm cool being angry, pissed off, heated. Here's super sad, depressed, down, blue. I'm cool being that. It's like I, I finally feel comfortable just being how I am without trying to fix it and change it and whatever. So for the first time, you're getting the officially uncut real me because I'm able to be that. And if there's one thing that I learned this time that I'm actually going to take to my next project, which is already three quarters of the way done and you're going to go oh, wow. bananas. I can't wait for you to, this next one is bananas, is never to forget to be alone with myself. Because on my very, very first Alicia uh, songs in A minor, I was a lot alone, very much alone. I wrote alone all the time besides Crucial. That was kind of it. It was my thing, my world. And over time, I've gotten used to collaborating with people and it's been fun because I can create different sonics and places and sounds and it's like feels less lonely and it's just a world. But when I'm by myself, and I reminded that with the, when I wrapped this Alicia album, when I'm by myself, it, it, it brings out something that I have to always cultivate. And that right. was my most, most recent reminder slash lesson and what I will you know, be taken forth through this next project that I can't wait to be on the show again talking to you about. Promise, because we got more to talk. Wait, can I ask one, yeah, la can I ask one last question before we wrap? Yes. Okay, so I got to say, um, probably one of the most impressive things that I've seen you do. Okay, so I was there this year at the, uh, at the Grammy Awards. And because we were um, playing with Gary Clark Jr., so... You know, I was pretty much there throughout the duration of the rehearsals and sit in the background and, you know, watching you camera block and all these things and prepare for it. And then, um, of course, uh, uh, Kobe passes away, which totally changes uh, just absolutely man, the, yeah. the, the entire 
just it's a paradigm shift like no other. And you know the the last time I saw them in a moment of panic was kind of I guess in what 2007 2006 when the quote unquote Rihanna situation right. happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had to readjust with like three hours left. Mm-hmm. And they had to really readjust the show. Um, I got to say, man, that was like, I wouldn't have been able to pull that off. How you handled it. And it was a thing where you you kind of had to wing it a little bit and readjust it for the show. And I, you know, some people are good under like gun to your head pressure. And that Jordan game six, this shot better go in the basket moment. But. I like I was out of everything that night. I was really impressed with uh, how you hosted the show and how you handled the words for Kobe and didn't let it rattle you or whatever. Like you did it with a very, very smooth. With the strength uh, of 50 black women on your shoulders. That's hey, how you did it. You know, that's hey, what I saw. I saw a black you. woman doing what she does. Mm, come on. So taking yeah, care I, of folks. I wanna, yeah. Like what? When you got the news that that happened, and I'm certain that, it, you know, there was five hours left before showtime. Like, what what was running through your, like, what pressure was running through your mind that we now have to readjust the show? Like, you did something with Boys to Men with the quick, that's so funny. Boys to Men was also used for the, quote, Rihanna Period. Get out of here. Right. Oh, my God. Which is crazy. <laughs> no, literally, wow. literally, they were, Ken, Ken, was running in the audit because they that was the year they decided to like double up on performances. So between Rihanna and Chris, there were like five performances that no longer existed and they needed to fill time. And so they were just running in the audience like, oh, Al Green, Steve, like Stevie Wonder, Jonas Brothers, can y'all do Superstar? And they were just running in the audience, <sighs> grabbing people, learning songs with like hours left, which was really like seconds left. So I know that like what was going through your mind that I I now have to rise to the moment and be the words of comfort for a grieving nation? I can't even tell you how crazy the whole experience was before it even became the gravitas that it did when with Kobe's and and Gigi and and yeah, Gigi's I mean passing. like that on top of what I was seeing you go through already. No, so what I mean is, and I'm bringing that up because. The crazy thing is, you know, planning for that particular thing, and this was my second time back, and, you know, I was extra in my head, like, I kind of killed it the first time. I'm going to really have to figure out, like, what I'm going to do. And I was like, am I crazy for saying yes? Who would say yes and compete against (laughs) themselves? What type of idiot move was that? So by the time it was close to actually doing it, way before this news, I was already, like, just trying to crack the code because everything that I had planned for, for my performance and for hosting, nothing came through. Every artist that I reached out to, every particular big idea that I had, even those that said yes, slowly dropped out. And I could not figure what was happening. I was like, please, universe, what do you want from me? What is happening? I'm you asking me to step into this moment. You asking me to be great, but I can't lock anything in. Why? What is the matter? And so I finally had this moment with myself, and I was like, "Okay, Alicia, look, 
it's a it's you. You you don't have say, to depend yeah. on anybody else. You you don't need this and that and that person that person to be great. You are you are you and you can do it by yourself. Yeah, so you're just enough feel, alone. You're enough feel, by yourself. Yeah, you're enough. So go out there and just be great and stop. And so I was like, okay, all right. I tried to get the the things and the things. Okay, boom. So we're working through everything. Got all the pieces. Put it all together. Had on my thing. Had an entrance. Had the whole thing. And I was already dressed because we planned to be dressed for run through because I had maybe an hour, an hour mm-hmm. before the show starts so that I could be dressed, quick touch up, meditate, cool, get myself together, be ready to kill. It had to be, thir- it had to be 30 minutes before the end of the show, which gave me one hour and a half max before showtime. Truly. I mean, it was like that close. And Ken, I remember I saw them shuffling in the corner and, and I was like, what's going on? And he was, he was like, Alicia, I really have to talk to you. And I was like, what's going on? Oh, you didn't even know. And it was backstage that I was like halfway between one thing and the other. And he was like, Kobe. And I was like, what? And he was like, and I was like, what? How much time before showtime? An hour and a half. <gasps> and I was, and I wasn't like, what? Because it was an hour and a half. I was like, what? Because. But what? Yeah. What? Kobe. Of course. Of course. Like, no of course. way. Never not right. Kobe. No way. Of course. And I remember Swiss called me. He's like, babe, um, what's going on? And I was like, oh my God, I just got the news. He was like, I need to know what's happening. I was like, um, I don't, I don't know. He said, I need to know what you're doing. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. He was like, you don't understand, babe. People are out here hurting. You can't be up there at some fucking Grammys. Like, this is Kobe. And I was like, I know, I don't, I was like, I don't know. He was like, I need us to talk about this and this has to be right. And I was like, I know. And I I was just like, whoa, I was just trying to catch the, but Process, it dawned yeah. on me in that moment. That's why nothing worked because I was supposed to be ready but, uh, for that. Yeah. And so when that, when that landed on me, I was like, oh, and I felt like a different type of calm that, I didn't even know that I had because I realized all this anxiety, all this pressure, all of this feeling like I wasn't enough, all of this whatever, it meant nothing. All I needed to do was show up for us because I needed it just as bad as everyone else needed. I didn't know what's at this like shit. What do we do with this? And what if it was me and my son? And what happens? What how's Vanessa? And what must I feel? I was like, I couldn't even fathom. And so I remember the whole team came backstage and was like, I was like, what are we going to do? And they were like, D-d-d-d-d-d-d-d. and I called Swiss and I'm like, um, okay, we could maybe, he was like, you got to sing something. I was like, I got to sing something? What could I, uh, what could I sing? Maybe I could sing Eyes on a Sparrow. And I was like, what could I sing? Um, let me think, let me think. And then I remember seeing Boys to Men with Tyler, the creator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I remember Omar, one of my MDs, he was like, it's so hard to say goodbye. I said, oh, Boys to Men is here. I was like, can we? Can they come? Would they be willing to do it? We should do it. And they came to my room and we were like on the piano and I was like, key, key, key. What should we do? Key, key. And I, and I started to think about what the words were and I had been working on the scripts of what I was saying anyway. So we, you know, we quickly pivoted about like, what did it feel like in that moment? And that was it. And we had to go. And I just remember that I walked to that stage and I felt so clear. I mean, so clear about what I was there for. And 
and and that and then that was that was that. But honestly, it's you know it was divinity and it was God and it was you know God holding me and protecting and just the way that it was. However, it's supposed to be that I never would have imagined in my life. Uh, but whoa, I mean, yeah, I, I recognize that moment and was really beyond impressed with how you handled that because so did people at home we knew nobody could do it better than you i don't Mm. know who else could have done it like that and made it seem so sincere and not scripted to be honest so no i I mean we all meant it we were all like stunned morning yeah yeah Uh, still morning man so So thank you for thank you for that and and i love this interview guys i love it i know everybody probably come on tell them tell you how much they love you but this is so good. I love no, this 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 is nerd paradise. Like our, yeah. our Jimmy Jam episodes damn near near seven hours. So Oh yeah. <laughs> Best believe if it wasn't nobody on the line, we'd be holding you a little longer. Like, I exactly. can see where exactly. right, right. like, mm, no, nobody's we, we, here. We let's thank you go. for doing this. And of course, you know, we'll we'll have you on the show again so we can nerd out some more. Yes. Oh, um, I can't wait, man. Y'all are, thank you. You're so blessed. You're so beautiful. You're so amazing. All of y'all quest. I'm a super fan, man. You are very, 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 very important to the to us and to me. Thank you. And so thank and you I, so I, much. I will, Look, I will he text said thank you, my, guys. Uh, my binaural. Huh? Yes, I will. I'll text it to you after we take <laughs> meditation this, yes. playlist. Send yes, me that I will playlist, send you my please. meditation playlist. All right, thank you, and I Steve. I wish you talked more, Alicia man, because I'm interested in what you <laughs> said. Alicia Keys, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Questlove. On behalf of Team Supreme, Lightyear, Fontigolo, Sugar Steve, and I'm Dave Bill. We'll see you on the next go-round. Thank you very much. What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.